Leaders Compass. I'm Dustin, joined by Christian. I'm CP. How's it going today? Good, man. How are you? Very excited for this episode. We have a fantastic guest. Uh, I'll throw it over to you. If you want to go ahead and do the introduction, let's jump right in. Boom. I'm really excited about this. This is a friend of mine, Daniel De La Cruz. Uh, we actually met a couple years ago working on a film project together, and I was the annoying producer, and he was the writer-director, and pretty much the basis of our friendship was I ruined his life for a good three months. <laughs> Daniel, thank you for coming on, man. Yes, thank you welcome. for having me. Thank you, thank you. Really appreciate it. Didn't think he'd ever want to talk to me again, folks, <laughs> but he does. He's at least guaranteed an hour of his time. Yeah, to there talk you go. <laughs> yeah, um, you're writer director. The reason why we asked you to come on the show is you're kind of a little earlier on in your film journey. You just made the full time move up to LA a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, you got a lot to say, I'm sure, about the differences between working on film in the San Diego community versus working on film in the Los Angeles community. Mm -hmm. You want to start there? Obviously, a lot of our listeners have considered making the jump. How do you move up to LA? Mm -hmm. How do you actually get into the industry? There's so many people here from all different places around. Yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, you hear those stories of just everybody that, at least I've been on set and just meeting out here in L.A. It's almost like nobody is from Los Angeles itself. Yeah, you know? yeah right? It's mostly like everybody's just from somewhere else and this is the place to be. When did you reach the point in your career where you're like, I cannot make uh, the content I want to make in San Diego. I need to be up in Los Angeles full time. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, what was your thought process? What was that experience like? And what was the final moment? So I've gotten both perspectives coming from San Diego, moving up to LA, because San Diego has a little bit of a community. It's not a huge, it's, it's not as big as Hollywood, obviously, yeah. but San Diego definitely has its little kind of pocket of the film community. Yeah. I've, so I've gotten the perspective of people that work down there, their kind of, their kind of thought process of like, well, you know, it's good practice. It's good practice to just be down here, just making films. You know, you're kind of meeting a bunch of people down there. But for me, the difference that I saw between LA and San Diego is, I think San Diego, their film community is a lot, has a lot more to do with hobbies. They're more of a hobby community. Like everybody down there, I don't really think they're making money doing those film projects. You know, it's a lot of actors that are working for the experience, a lot of film directors, film writers. And we, you know, we do the same thing when we're down there in in San Diego making our own projects. It's kind of just for the credit, for the copy of, you know, the film, just that experience, just to add another thing onto your resume. So at that point, you know, that was my thought process of like, well, I could be down here still just making films for hobbies, or I could take that next step. And I think that for me, that was the point where I was like, you know what, as much as I'm having fun down here, just kind of messing around with my friends and making movies, you know, our own way, I just see myself doing bigger things. Is it, is it weird? Like being down in San Diego, because realistically, like the proximity to LA is like hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so close that yeah. it's like maybe just go to LA. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's really not even a jump for me. People from coming from New York, people coming from Europe, people people coming from right. Asia. You know, San Diego. I can go. You know, whenever I want to go down, I can come up whenever I want to come up. So it's really yeah. not that huge yeah. of a deal. But I think it was just that just that final decision to say. I got to leave San Diego behind and now focus on LA. Part of your decision to do this mm-hmm. was dismay of your parents. You said, screw it. I'm <laughs> dropping out of school. Mm-hmm. I'm moving to, to Hollywood mm-hmm. to become a big star. Right, definitely. 
How did you grapple with that decision? Because that seems that's ballsy, right? That's a ballsy yeah, I guess you could decision say that. to right. make. Right. Was there a conversation or was it just more like a statement? Like this is what I do. It was a little bit of both. I would okay. say um, I know my parents kind of saw it coming from an early age. I've been into film for as long as I can remember. I've always been writing. I've always been kind of storytelling. And so I think they saw that. And ever since I was younger, I, I told them that this is what I wanted to do no plans to do anything else so i think they've had a few years to kind of prep for that final <laughs> conversation you know they've had a, yeah fun. exactly they were they probably had the mentality of one day we're gonna get yeah. that we're gonna get that conversation yeah i mean that that day kind of just came and went and i had to tell them i'm like look i'm not i'm not happy in san diego i'm not happy just making films for fun i was kind of in like a very stationary place in san diego so I think they also saw that, saw how unhappy I was, saw that I wasn't really going anywhere, saw I wasn't really making any progress with my career. Yeah. And they saw that that move was kind of just the step that I it's needed like progress, to take. It's like progress. Not just like, oh, okay, right. hopefully this will happen. And you're like, no, I mean, this is yeah. the next step. Exactly. Did this influence your decision in any way? The fact that obviously in school you're primarily learning theory of film mm-hmm. versus when you're making films, you're practically making how, how did you weigh that at all, or was it really just a location-based decision for you? For me, you know, there's film industries in Texas. There's film industries on the East Coast. There's film industries all over the place, somewhat all over the place. I did not know this. Um, Apparently, one of them is North Carolina. Really? It's like a huge industry. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Michigan's got a pretty Shout big Shout out to North Carolina. North Carolina. Right, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> No, 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 you're good. The theory Practical the, versus yeah. theory. I think it was a lot of good practice being in San Diego. That was the best part of it, was that there was practice, and at the same time, I was kind of going to school for a little bit. I was taking film classes just to kind of get that extra theory, I guess. You know, I don't totally I don't totally bash film school. I think it, it has its benefits, but it also has some things that can hold some filmmakers back. Yeah, yeah. And, um... And so I think that those few film classes that I took, they definitely helped me for a more technical, you know, a more technical side of film. That helped me learn a lot more of the the verbiage, the jargon, you know, the the kind of those things you really you could pick up on a film set, you know, just doing PA work. It's cool to kind of have that textbook and say this is exactly what this means, rather than you know, you could be on a film set, three different film sets, and maybe you'll hear different terms for equipment or, or different. You know, just different things in general. Yeah, I've been on a set before where somebody, I forget what the exact phrase was, but they were like, hand me this. And I was like, yeah. I don't know what that is. I'm exactly, like, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, so you, you definitely get a lot of that. But I think that is one pro about film school is that it'll teach you those things. It'll, at least for the classes that I took, it'll teach you those really preliminary things that you need to know. So you can survive on the set. Exactly. So okay. you can survive on a set. And then from there, I kind of used those materials that I learned in those few years and those few classes that I did take. And when I was able to work on my first film set as a PA, I kind of just was like, okay, now I'm legitimately on the set. It's the difference between, I feel like it's, it's with every job. You have your training and when you have your experience actually on the field. Right. You can only get so much in this training. You can only learn so much from a manual. Yes. Because yeah. there's things that will pop up that you'll, you have no idea how to prepare for. And I think it's the same way learning how to make a film versus actually technically physically making a film. That's a valid point. Mm -hmm. I think there's this mentality that all writers or directors or producers have. I'm going to show up in Los Angeles and someone is going to say, you are the next Steven Spielberg. Here is $30 million. (laughs) Go make your dream film. 
spoiler alert to everyone listening, uh, it does not work that way, and it will never work that way. So once you get here, how did you say, cool, I had the dream, I'm following it, now I actually got to start and mm-hmm. start at the bottom. What was your way to kind of, I don't like to use the word, but almost to weasel your way into right. the industry? How did you get paid and, and what have you been doing? So it's definitely been a trial and error process. Yeah. You know, it, it took me, it took me a bit to kind of get my, you know, get my grounding and get to where I'm, I feel comfortable saying, okay, I'm making progress in what I'm doing. Can I actually ask? Yeah. Did you know anyone up here when you came up here or were you on your own? Great question. So I have a cousin who went to AFI, went to Berkeley, got okay. his master's in film, and he's kind of been working on his own projects. I also have another cousin who came up here to do the acting thing. Okay. But they both took the film route, the film school route, I should say. Okay. Um, their method kind of differs a little from mine. They've always been available and open to say, hey, you know, if you ever need help, if you ever need some guidance, please let us know and we'll help you out. So, so it was more like, you know, uh, arm's length, you knew people, yeah. but like you're not living on their couch and you're both working on projects together. Yes. Okay, cool. Exactly. I was just curious, yeah, because I know it can be really scary to make that Definitely. jump, obviously, if you don't know anybody. Right. You were saying, how do you kind of find that, that first job? I think it is that it is super intimidating to try to come up here by yourself, figure it out all on your own. I definitely think if you have that option available, it builds a lot of character. It kind of makes you evaluate what you're doing, what you need to be doing. And I think it adds a little bit more yeah, it's pressure. that real trial by fire. Exactly. And I think that pressure is kind of what separates people that come here. And that, that pressure is the one that's like, is what kind of weeds out the people who are meant to be up here and the people that kind of okay. see it as a dream. Very cool. So did you start working as a PA? Did so you start working, doing kind of the, the extra thing? What A combination of both? It was a little bit of a combination of both, I would say. When I first started off, I did a couple PA projects just here and there. And those were actually, basically all the PA projects that I worked on were officiated by my cousin. Okay. So he was the one that actually set up like, hey, he's like, uh, you know, I can get you a couple PA gigs. That's sick. That's where I'm going to have to start you. Just because I had very little experience, I wasn't coming with a fresh yeah. film yeah. school degree. Obviously. So yeah, I kind of just took those PA gigs just to get that experience of being on set. After that, I learned about the extras and the background acting and all that. And I, I kind of saw that as I started researching it and figuring out what that exactly was. Um, I kind of used that as easier path to kind of get into how I can get more experience being on set. Okay. And I kind of say it in that way because I enjoy the background acting a little bit more because as a PA, you're cleaning shit up afterwards. You know, like you are doing all this extra work when as a background actor, you don't necessarily have to do that. You kind of just sit back, eat some crafty. Exactly. And so I kind of enjoy that a little bit more than I do the PA work. As a PA, it's hard work. It's a pain in the ass. I definitely think, at least for me, the background acting was kind of where I was like, you know what, okay. this, I so, like this a little so bit. So if, if I'm sitting in uh, Kansas right now, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, I want to be a background actor, how did you do it? I mean, did you start by going on Craigslist and looking for, for opportunities? Did you apply to one of the agencies that staffs extras? How, so how did you do it? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of just like same thing of a trial and error. Like I did the Craigslist thing for a little bit, and I do not recommend okay. that. You, so you have bad stories about, about yes, getting on movie sets through yes. Craigslist? Can you share one? <sighs> I'm trying to because everyone's got like everyone's the worst got story. Right, right, right. 
gotta think about like those stories because like, some of those you don't up, even want to put. You didn't you like show put. up for a shoot and it turns out there was like a porn film or something. Like, Unfortunately, like, no, I okay, cannot. Good. Yeah, <laughs> no, I would say that's fortunate. That would have been right, right. It would have been a hell of an experience, I'm sure. You know, but um, <laughs> but no, I, I didn't. You know, get kind of misled in, in any of that way. I think for me, the just seeing the pages, just seeing what they're offering, just seeing it, it immediately shuts it down. If you can know and learn how to read a Craigslist ad, I think that's a good place to start in how to determine who's BS and yeah. what is okay. legitimate. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's fair. Um, and I think from there, I might have gotten a PA gig or maybe a background gig, one of my first ones through Craigslist. It was decently legit. You know, it wasn't a huge production or anything. And from there, I met another background actor who was kind of giving me more okay. uh, information about Central Cast, which is the background extra, the main background extra studio or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. for LA. Yeah. And they actually have offices like in New York, Georgia, and I think a couple other places okay. too. But that is, I know that's the biggest background company that's out yeah. there. Is that a membership organization or how do you so that whole process, it's actually kind of a, it's a, it's a fun process. I had to go back twice. So the first time they, so when you go to sign up, they only allow 60 people per day. Okay. And for adults, they, you can only sign up Mondays and Wednesdays between, I think it's like 9 and 11. The first day I got there, you know, I got there at 8.30. I'm like thinking, you know, perfect. I'll get here early. I'll get my spot. You know, piece of cake. <laughs> first time I got there, there was a line out the door, maybe a mile down the road. And I was like, oh shit, there's no way I'm going to because they actually have, like, sectioned off, they have maybe 30 spots, one, two, three, four, five, you know, lined up, marked. Shit. And then after that, there's, like, a, a little yellow section marked off. That's maybe. Like, maybe. It's the maybe crew. After that, there's, like, there's no way. There's no way you're getting in after that line. Okay. So the first time I went, I kind of just had to say, no way. yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I had to call, you know, I had to call it a day. Try again. I lost this one. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the second time I went, I was like, I'm not going to make the same mistake. So I showed up three in the morning, <laughs> waited in line. I was maybe the seventh person in line. Nice. So there's people with tents. There's people with books, sleeping bags. They're ready to go. Like they're <laughs> people who are doing this. I mean, it's, it's legit. They're, they know what they need to be doing. So. It's cool. That was a cool experience. So once you get through that first 60 people, you go in, they kind of give you the rundown of what exactly they're doing, you know, what the whole background extra thing is, you know, the rules, regulations, and every, and you know, all that stuff. And then they give you all the paperwork. They take your picture there. They sign you in themselves. And then from there, you kind of just start getting booked for, uh, for gigs. Yeah. And after that, you know. Then so is that, are you actively applying as a member? Like, do they have a job board or are you getting called for what they think would it's kind of a little bit of both, just dependent on project. So a lot of times they have their job board. Uh, you kind of just have to go through it and say, okay, I'm good for this. I fit this. You know, for me, they're usually looking for like a Latino, 18 to 20, 18 to look young. Okay. So I play a lot of high schoolers. I play a lot <laughs> of, you know, college kids and stuff like that, which is cool. Those are, you get a lot yeah. of cool, like high school party sets. You yeah. get a lot of cool, awesome. yeah. uh, you know, all That's those cool. kind of stuff. So it's cool. It's good to, you know, kind of play around with that a little bit. Can but, you mention any films that you've been on as an extra so we can be scouring the background <laughs> for you? Uh, let me see. I've gotten, I've actually gotten a good amount of projects that I've worked on. Like, you know, a couple that I can think off the top of my head. I did uh, The Goldberg a few times. Okay. Oh, yeah. I did, I was actually on Euphoria. So there's well, Tell me your penis was not out. No. Okay. Not my penis. Okay. No. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I honestly would have taken it because those nudity gigs are, they're banked, but uh, they did not ask. They did not ask, so. Unfortunately, I was not able to get that one, but, um, so I 
worked on Euphoria. I did. I've done a lot of like ABC and Netflix shows. Okay. Grace and Frankie was a good one. That oh, was yeah. cool. For me, it's really cool being on those sets because I love just watching them work. Yeah. And that's the best thing about being a background act extra. One of the things that I personally enjoy is that it's a lot of downtime, right? It's a lot of just being on a film set. They have the setup, they have when they're actually rolling, and then they have just the downtime. Right. In that downtime, you just see them work. And as a background actor, you're not being used. So you're kind of just standing around. So you can study. And you can study. And yeah. that's exactly what I really enjoy about it. Because for me, that that is my film school. Yeah. I love yeah. just seeing them work and picking up little kind of nuances that I see the director do, I see the camera people do, I see the crew. Little things that, like like you said, you would never see in a film textbook. Yeah. Just those little things of being on. Or to some extent, you're not even going to see as a PA because you're too exactly. busy working. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, obviously, there are people who make a living totally out of central casting. Mm-hmm. I know for most people, that's not what they want to do when, right. they, when they plan on moving here, but it's totally a viable gig. And mm-hmm. you obviously get to hang out in movies every day. And Definitely. It's not honestly, terrible, I guess. No, it's amazing. not. It's, it's a great, it's honestly a great gig. I think the only issue, just like with a lot of film gigs and a lot of creative kind of art gigs, is the consistency. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. It's better than, no disrespect to working at Jack in the Box, no disrespect to working at any fast food restaurant, any kind of service industry, mind you, but, yeah. you know, I would rather spend my time being on film sets than kind of flipping burgers or anything, you know? No, for sure. I want to take a step back. Okay. When you were in San Diego, you shit a bunch. Director, what is your take on film festivals? And the only reason why I bring this up is you've, you've submitted to quite a few. Mm-hmm. You have been screened in yep. quite a few. There's always this this debate going on, and, and I think Dustin would know this. He's gone back for a long time. Mm-hmm. Are film festivals worth it? There, there's a school of thought that you know it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. Don't chase the film festivals. There's other people that say, hey, this is a great way to get some work that you've done, get some exposure for it, get it screened. What, what's your take, I guess, as someone who, who's done the festival thing more than once? I honestly, I enjoy film festivals. I think the experience of being there, um, you know, if you're with your actors, you're with your crew, the fact that you get to screen your film in front of a whole different audience yeah. that of people that are doing the same thing as you. You know, they're filmmakers, they're just as passionate as you, they're just as... It's a good... I think it's a great experience because of all those different things. You know, it's you're going to hear things you maybe don't want to hear, but you it's good. Like yeah. in the Oceanside Film Festival, which we had, which was actually my first film festival that I submitted to, we, like the people behind us, we, we could hear through our film. We heard just like chatter and just like, oh, okay, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I really, I think it's learning. I think it's learning and I think it's character building and I think it is kind of, it's essential. Yeah. I think it's essential. Okay. Everybody needs to hear crap they don't want to hear either about their projects, about their stories. Everything. Plus, that's you know the beauty of filmmaking is you know when you put something out there, and this is why I think we we really like our artists mm-hmm. is other people get to interpret it. Exactly. It doesn't matter what you mm-hmm. think you were saying. That's not how people took it. Exactly. And you know it's that vulnerability of, of really creating something and saying and trying to say something. Yeah. But sometimes maybe you don't get it the way you thought you had. Right. Right. No. So, definitely. Actually putting any work out and, and getting to hear from an audience, I mean, that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. What What's kind of in the past been your approach? Are you, uh, do you tend to focus, try and focus on local films where you think the local aspect is going to give you more success? Have you done more of a buckshot approach where you just send it out to anything and everything? And obviously the other big question is it gets pretty pricey if you're going to typically a poor filmmaker. Right. <laughs> if you're going to apply to a bunch of festivals, especially the notable ones, it, it, it's going to cost you. What has been your approach to navigating that? So we've had, for different projects, we have had kind of different 
approaches. For some projects, we obviously have a little bit more money than for other projects. Yeah. So I would recommend when you have a bigger budget, I would recommend just everything in it because I think you get those local communities, you get the bigger communities, you get the international communities, you get a whole widespread, you know, if you have the money, you might as well get that widespread audience. Right. Yeah. If you don't have that money, you know, try to pick the ones that, I would say do that research of, which films are usually the ones to go to which film festivals Okay, and kind of base it off of that. Trying to see who's your competition, not necessarily looking for what's the easiest competition or what's the easiest film festival to get into, but the one where your film will stand out or the one where your film will fit the best, I guess. And you're kind of saying like, take the opportunity to go visit, because a lot of the film festivals, they'll have a webpage on maybe their, their website that has all of the selections from last mm -hmm. year's thing, or they have a playlist on YouTube yeah. yeah, exactly. So just go watch some of them and kind of see. Right, get the okay. kind of, get the general gist, get the vibe, get the feeling of the different film festivals, like which ones will really fit your film. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of the approach that we've gone about going to the film festival. And it's worked. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, all right. So cool. cool. Have you at all, I've never done this, but I've heard it works well. Have you, when you applied, have you ever requested a fee waiver or a, a discount? When we've applied, no. I don't think so. We haven't really gone to that much depth of just, you know, trying to see what we can do with our film. I think when we do apply, we kind of just say, this is how much money we have. This is our budget. We have to kind of just slice it up like that. Yeah. I don't think we've ever gone to any film festival or gone to anywhere and been like, hey, can we get some kind of reduced rate, some kind of student discount? Because I've heard that they do it. Uh, I just have never done it myself. I've never, yeah, I've never done it myself. Now, so I learned. Another life hack when it comes to, uh, I guess, the filmmaking act when it comes to festivals. Mm -hmm. I've always heard that it is a waste of time to apply for the extended deadline. Get your films in early so they can have a, the best chance of being accepted. Just, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but that's what I've always heard. I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if your film is done and you're confident, I would not have any reason to postpone it as much as possible. I mean, might as well just kind of send it out there as soon as as soon as you know that your product is ready and good to go, you know, I, I'm, I don't think there's any issue with kind of sending it out right as the deadline okay, opens, okay. you know. Just as long as, I wouldn't say jump the gun and be like, we got to get it out right now. So just kind of send it as is, as long as we get it out, as soon as it opens, then we're fine. I, I don't see the need to do that. As long as you're comfortable with your product, as long as you're ready to go, and as long as you say this is ready to be viewed by other people, mm -hmm. just kind of send it in whenever you're ready. Okay. Um... Kind of reaching a point where you determine what's ready to be viewed. I guess mm -hmm. my thought is, you've done a few shorts. How has that affected your growth as a filmmaker? Any takeaways from kind of the short film thing? Obviously, that's where most people start. Mm -hmm. Get an idea whether this is something that they want to do. And right. Any takeaways from, from those experiences? Honestly, I think those kind of takeaways, I don't really learn from the film festival themselves. Because one you're gonna get different films every single year. You're gonna get different filmmakers and you're gonna get just a whole new kind of wave of ideas, you know, subjectivity and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. I don't think that, you know, once you put it in the film festival, I think that's it. If it wins any awards, if anything happens to it, cool. If not, then that was the project. It ran its course, work on the next one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. And with, like, what are some of the films that you've, you've made? Like short films. So the first one that we sent to the Oceanside Film Festival was called uh, The Big Three. And that was about a 12 minute short. I wrote the script. I think we started maybe November of 2000. 
16. It took about a month in pre-production, just kind of getting all the actors, getting everything ready. Mm-hmm. Did about two months of filming, and then by I think March, okay, we were able to submit it to as many festivals as we could. And uh, Oceanside was kind of the first one, the biggest one that we got into. That we were like, okay, let's you know, Oceanside is the one that we're gonna put on the whole show for and just kind of show up and see see what happens. When you guys showed up, did you feel like rock stars? It was cool. It, honestly, awesome. yeah, it was freaking badass. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, with my crew and with my actors and everybody, the fact that we had our movie, you know, for the first time on a big screen in That's front cool. of other people, like, it, it was definitely, you know, we had the badges and everything. <laughs> the badges is definitely what sold it for yeah. me, for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got, so I got it. it was a good time. It was a good time. And some of your other short films? Besides the big three, I think... After that was Black, which is the film that I worked on with Christian. Okay. And uh, that one was its own process. You know, that one was <laughs> that well, one. It had its up. Read down. between the lines here. That's 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 called working with an asshole producer. <laughs> it was. I really enjoyed the pre-production process of it because what we started with by the end of pre-production, what we ended with. Mm. I think. Because when I first came to Christian with the script, I was like, I'm ready to make a feature. Yeah, I, it was a feature film. <laughs> I, I made one I made one short film before. Other than that, it was just me messing around with the camera. There was one legitimate short film, and then I went up to Christian, met Christian, and then said, I'm ready for this feature. Let's do it. <laughs> and that's the good thing I will give producers is that they they give you that slap in the face and say, no, you're not. You're not ready for this. Let's, let's turn it down a bit, which is – one of the things that I will always appreciate in my learning process, everything that I was taught and everything I've learned from that film specifically was just like, sometimes you need that wake up call. You need that yeah. slap in the face and say, this is the project. This could happen. But right now we need to focus somewhere else. So yes, that, I really enjoyed that pre-production process of turning a feature script into a, I think we did like a script for a trailer. And then we kind of turned it into a short film just yeah. after everything. Yeah. We had one idea and kind of, change into a whole nother idea so it was it was kind of just an up and down process through just that pre well and i think one valuable thing that i learned from on that project was we weren't anticipating it to be as but you know by the time we whittled it down we weren't mm-hmm. anticipating it to be as i think as exciting as it ended up being because one of the lead actors ran into total family crisis and had to drop off the project halfway through yeah, I think that's really tough. And Daniel's decision was, let's rewrite the script so we don't have to go back and reshoot. Mm-hmm. We can just adapt it. Yes. Uh, and as a as a writer, how did that process work out for? Because that's a that's a tough talent. And right. I mean, tons of super successful people in Hollywood mm-hmm. struggle doing that. Definitely, definitely. I think it's just that adapting. It's that adapting and kind of reacting to situations that happen because every filmmaker knows that you can start off with a script, you can start off with an idea, you can start off with a plan, and none of that could happen. You know, like you can be halfway through filming and just something will pop up that will just destroy that whole idea. That you'll have to re, you have to rework it, you have to go back. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of difficult going back and, and having to readjust around that incident. Yeah. You're not ready for that. Yeah. You're not ready for that at all. Just having to rewrite that whole kind of sequence that we planned out. That was a little bit of a challenge, but fortunately, when we got this other actor to kind of fill in for that character, that actor turned out to be one of the best, you know, one of the standout performances of this short film. Yeah. At least in my opinion. I thought I thought he was one of the standout performances of nice. the short film. It works, you know, kind of both ways. You start with an idea and it could change, but it could also benefit you. Yeah. It's just how you work it. 
you know, it's just yeah. how you're able to adapt with it, how you're able to work it. And I think if you have a good crew, you have a good cast, and everybody's just working together, I don't see where where the destruction, you know, has to stop. You know, you can avoid yeah. those situations. And it's probably cool, too, to look back and, and mm-hmm. realize, like, hey, you had this adversity, this problem that popped yeah. up, and you're like, the outcome, I think, was great, but you're like, we overcame it. We didn't mm-hmm. quit and just drop the exactly. whole thing. Like, exactly. we figured it out. Yeah. So I'm sure there's great pride in delivering it. Definitely. Yeah, very cool. And then you recently completed another short, right? Yeah, so right now we have another short, which has been post-production, and that one's called Creeping Death. That one's another hmm. about 15 minutes right now, the runtime. So they're still kind of chopping at it and still kind of messing with it. And that one was a little it was a little different than things that I've worked on before because it was mainly dialogue. Probably 95% dialogue oh, took okay. place in one su- in one location. location. I wrote, directed, and acted. So I just based off of the films that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, I do notice that you tend to name your films after songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> why is that? <laughs> I don't think titles are very important to the film as much as people kind of make them to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that you can start off with the title and kind of turn it into whatever whatever it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so the reason I like starting, you know, with songs is just because when I write a script, when I have an idea, I'll listen to one song. Okay. And as I'm writing that just whole to script, get into the just to get into that feeling and get into that vibe, I listen to one song. And usually that song will be the one that I'm like, okay, I'm going to slap this on the title because I really like, I really like the title of this song. So I'm going to slap this on the film title. I'll use it as a working title, see what I do with it. By the end of writing, I'm so, I love the title so much that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to keep it. So big three, super ambiguous. If you watch that film, you're not going to really understand why it's called that. Same thing with Black, same thing with Creeping Dead. It doesn't necessarily have to be with the song as much as just the inner context of what that is. So it's not just like I'm randomly kind of picking a song. There's some, there's some meaning to why I pick each song. I don't really like to dwell on the title. Because I know I've had some friends that are writers, and they're like, I can't, I can't think of a freaking yeah, title. They're racking their brains. Exactly. Like, they're just trying pick to pick something for yeah, now and go. Exactly. Exactly. Like, the title so can I kind of change up until the last. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Exactly. Leg of post-production. Exactly. So um, yeah, you know, I just kind of don't really have to dwell on it. So usually the song of choice is the song that I'll pick for uh, <laughs> the title. Okay. Cool. Okay. You guys want to talk about the movie? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So listen, obviously you're not an old person. Uh, you're a hip, cool guy. So, this is what I want to ask. If you were to go on a date, what in your mind is the perfect film or films for a first date? I've kind of been... Delicious. <laughs> I mean, it's a great card. <laughs> I know. I made it up. <laughs> I've kind of... I'm thrown around to... First one is True Romance. The second one is Natural Born Killers. Okay. I was thinking you were going to say, like, The Notebook. Right. Right. <laughs> Natural Born... I got to hear why. Yeah. yeah I really incredible. need to know. Okay. So... I can kind of see True, true Romance, yeah. but Natural Born Killers? So, if I had to lean towards one specifically, I would say True Romance just because it's a little... I don't want to say watered down, but it's not Natural Born Killers. It's not a <laughs> no, crazy... very few movies are. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a crazy-ass Oliver Stone film. So, I would say True Romance because it... Like Natural Born Killers, they both have that same kind of Bonnie and Clyde, these two lovers on the run element, which I think is a perfect okay. Okay. Movie. okay. That's that's that makes sense. Yeah. Though. Plus, on top of that, if you're on a date with somebody who has a little bit of culture, they have they can appreciate that Tarantino, that Stone, that kind of that style of filmmaking that won't make it just kind of like a, a mushy. You know, cheesy right. yeah. rom-com, you know? Okay, okay. It, it gives it a little bit of fun, but with that core element of, like, it's really a love story. Now, yeah. Yeah. do you think there is a value to bringing someone you don't know to essentially 
kind of a shock, though. Like Natural Born Killers. <laughs> I mean, because it's dark, it's twisted, it's, so, yeah. it's graphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it says a little bit about who does. you are. It does. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. So it's definitely, if you have the right person, that's who you're going to show Natural Born Killers to. That's who you're going to show True Romance to. If you have that right person who's like, you know what, I know I'm not going to scare this person off. But, you know, it also keeps it fun, even if you do. Right. Even if you do end up scaring that person off, it keeps it fun because... You know, it's a good movie either way. You know, sure. they're going to have a good time. Do you worry about the kind of cinephile aspect of it in the sense that I don't know how many casual moviegoers are really familiar with either of those two films? Right. Two million, I mean, that's pretty okay. hot. But yeah, that's got a little bit of a, yeah. I mean, where we are now, like, those are both films from the 90s. Right. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Do you, I, no, I agree. Or that is that part is... of your vetting process? You're on a first date, and you're like, I need to make sure that, <laughs> that whoever I'm dating, that, that they, they're cultured when it comes to film, they can appreciate the work of the masters. You know, they, right, any right. girl that I watch, you know, we're watching Star Wars, if she yawns, done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But he's uh, not. I know, 100%. For sure. <laughs> you yawn during Star Wars, what are you doing? <laughs> So I think there is that cinephile kind of, you know, idea behind it. I don't want to be on a date and watch a board, a boring movie, <laughs> you know, like I want to, I want to enjoy the movie too. Okay, I can you know? see that. So I think there is that kind of that, that value to it. But at the same time, like you said, it's 100% rad. Like if they can appreciate that, like if, right. if they're into it and you just kind of knock it out of the park with that film and they're like, dude, this is the best film I've ever watched. That's got to be that much. That's got to be that much more rewarding. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. Now. Do you worry at all? Natural Born Killers is, on the face value, it looks like this weird movie about Mickey and Mallory, right? But it's a lot deeper in the sense that it's it's really a film about kind of, it's Stone's commentary on on media and this culture of of sensationalization that we have. I I didn't even say that right, and I apologize, (laughs) I'm speaking English. Um, is there is there value in taking to someone? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why natural born. Or do you killers... just throw a Twitter profile like, hey, I go see weird dark movies. Like, honestly, want to match? <laughs> if you, I would, I would preface if you're gonna show natural born killers, I would say, listen, we're gonna watch this movie. You might not like it. <laughs> it's got a good story at its core, but you might have to sit through some stuff first. Um, so I would say in that sense, yeah, I guess natural born killers is. That's why I would say that's a little bit more of an intimidating date film. I would pick True Romance, True Romance over that because it's a little easier on, you know, a little easier on the A little bit more of a popcorn flavor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, rather than Natural Born Killers, but like I said, I mean, if you have that right person, you think that you're not going to scare off with this film, Natural Born Killers for sure is going to be one that's, it's going to grab their attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the way you pose the question too is interesting. Like, obviously, you if going on dates, you have the opportunity to go see movies that neither of you have seen, but if you're the one that gets to pick a movie you have mm-hmm. seen, I feel like you would want to maybe not like test somebody, but you're like, you know, right. is this person into what I'm into? Like, exactly. Can we exactly. have a really cool conversation? Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the yeah, 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 definitely that too, for sure. I'm just kind of surprised. There's nothing wrong with picking a movie, but some artists that you really admire and million have had success with so <laughs> right right exactly i sure would yeah i mean yeah. If, you're, if you're gonna watch those movies like i'll, I'll go on a, a friend friend movie night with you and just go, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good night <laughs> right I, I just i i guess i was thinking and i assume that the rest of the viewers are would be like oh i'd pick mean girls i think you would pick mean girls oh, i love mean girls it's a great movie but yeah it, it came to mind so I think this is interesting. Viewers out there, definitely tweet at us and let us know your thoughts on a movie that you think would make a killer date movie. Absolutely. Uh, you First know, date movie. Is there a genre that you think 
works the best. Like, obviously, there's, you know, rom-coms, but there is mm-hmm. just, like, comedy, you know, taking right. someone to go see Superbad or something. Right, right, right. You know, um, action, thrillers. I mean, what do you guys, do you think there's something that stands out as, like, if you're if you're not sure what movie to see, just pick something from the genre. It'll work. I would say I've heard thrillers are okay. good because, you know, you get that kind of jump scare. You get a little yeah. closer. You get that like jump horror, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So... That'd be a good one. Honestly, rom-coms, like if you're just looking for a quick movie to kind of just slap in, that's probably going to yeah, be... you'll both have a fine time. Yeah, exactly. You may not, you know, get into deep conversation. After right, right. Changing gears just a little bit. Mm-hmm. After this, you're going home tonight. What are you picking out of your collection to watch? You know what? It's been a while since I've watched La La Land. Okay. And La La Land is... I know there's not like... It's hard to say top three, top five, top ten films, you know, because you... Right, yeah. Direct, yeah. You... Appreciate and so that doesn't really stuff. seem like your genre anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but La La Land, oh my god, it's one of probably my favorite movies of all time. I, I love that movie, and that movie I can I can watch it nonstop for sure. So I would say La La Land. It's been a while since I've seen that. I want to refresh on my game. So You know what? I just went through kind of like my DVDs, and the two movies that really stood out like in my mind, I would want to watch either The Sandlot or the original Ninja Turtles. Like the 89? Yeah. 89? When's the all last right. time you saw that? been a while. I don't know, that just sounds entertaining. Like, I remember it was so dark and grimy. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the Not cartoon the and the later ones, you know, it's so colorful <laughs> right, and fun. Right, exactly. You know, that one was like, dang, New York was, like, they need the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Sandlot's always a good one. Sandlot's a classic. I love Sandlot. Yeah. Good movie. I don't know, what are you going to pick? Me? Yeah. Uh, I want to go watch Collateral. Well, I just I watched that, too, that on my drive up. I was like, I should watch Collateral. Michael Mann. Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it's awesome. It's great. Yeah, yeah I'd recommend it. Yeah, in fact, all viewers should watch Collateral. <laughs> On a date or not, it's just a good movie. The premise is great. Like, you know, this this guy's a taxi driver, you know, kind of a daydreamer, wanting to uh-huh. move on from taxi driving, but he feels stuck. So, you know, this guy picks up the airport and has him, you know, he's like, cuts a deal with him. He's like, take me to these, like, six locations, and then I'll pay you X amount of money. He's like, mm. all right. So the, the premise, you know, the, the inciting incident is like at one of the first locations, uh, someone gets murdered. Where it goes from there, we'll leave it up there for you. Oh, no way. It's and pretty it, dope. And it's crazy because the way man captures mm-hmm. Los Angeles on film, I think is, is, he makes it look really stunning. Yeah, have you ever seen Heat? I've seen Heat, yeah. I watched that again recently, and that the bank heist scene, I was watching it, I was home alone, and I had seen it before, and you know, I'm watching it with surround sound, like uh-huh. having a good time, and I mean, man, when those rifles kick in, it was like super loud, I like sat yeah. up in my seat, it was one of those, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm just chilling at home on my couch, like, hey, okay, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. full attention. <laughs> For sure, no, those, those first, I, I think the thing that pops out about Heat the most is those first few scenes, yeah. and the scenes between... De Niro and Pacino, like, I think those are the oh, highlights yeah. of Heat, for sure. They were awesome. Yeah. Michael Mann, dude. Michael Mann, for sure. Have you guys seen Dendo Dayan? No, I have not. No, man. I have Ooh, not. Now, now you got I wanted to, but I haven't. It's it's hard to say when, no, you know, you, people that you're talking to haven't seen it, but it was, I can't tell what it's trying to be. Okay. I okay. can't tell if, if it's so meta that it's like, it's almost a parody of itself, or if it's not meta enough you know okay. what i'm saying like it's yeah. just and I'll, that's all i'll tell you about it like i don't want to i want to leave you guys up to your interpretation when you go see it but it's gonna it's gonna yeah it's gonna give you that's that the thing for, like, sure, for yeah, sure I, I feel like i want to watch it and then do like another podcast yeah and, I, and talk about it i want to check it out yeah <laughs> I, i'd recommend it not to say that it's a great piece of cinema 
but I would recommend it just to kind of walk out with wondering what it was intended yeah, to be. different. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, audience, what do you, what were your thoughts if you saw Dead Don't Die? Cool. Dead Don't Die. That's so sweet. Yeah. Wow. Adam Driver um, for sure stands out. I think he's probably my favorite cast member of that entire film. Okay. Bill Murray does a great job, but I think his character could have been kind of pumped up a little bit more. But Adam Driver for sure stands out. For okay. Me, for sure. Dude, cool. So definitely. And Adam Driver, if you're listening to the show, you should come on and talk about Dead Don't Die. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Daniel, thank you, man, for coming on. We had a really good time and some good stuff to say. Yeah, thanks for having so, me. I really appreciate it. Anything you have to plug or want to plug while we're all sitting here listening and captivated by your words of wisdom? Right now, I'm kind of just up in the air with all these projects I'm working on. So I would say, you know, if you have a chance, go over to our website, leftbenchproductions.com. Cool. And check out our stuff. We have um, a lot of summer projects that we've been working on. We have our films up there. We have, you know, a lot of bios just about, you know, our, our crew members and yeah. what we're about and everything. So if you get a chance, I would say check that out. And For sure. And uh, how can people connect with you if they want to ask you questions or shoot you a message? So or... uh, Instagram, I would say, is probably the best way to reach me. Or even our website, we have a contact page. So if you just want to go hop on to the website and check out the contact page, send us a message. Or What's your Instagram? Instagram, it's, uh, if you just look up my name, Daniel DLC 3 with okay. two dots in between. Two dots in between. Daniel. Obviously, we'll, we'll link you up as well. Perfect, perfect. And to anybody out there, you know, that is maybe thinking about getting into film or, or you know, even just using their cell phone to, like, shoot something, I mean, what are your, what, are, what would be your two biggest pieces of advice that's thinking about doing honestly i would say do it because especially if you have the friends to do it if you have the wanting to do it and if you have phone a flip phone because that's where i started off one of my first films that i ever put from paper to screen was filmed on a cell phone and like just a flip phone one of those nokia little yeah (laughs) yeah you know what i'm saying so i just wanted to do it and i just i felt that drive and i i felt that passion to do it I mean, since then, that's how the ball got rolling. And I would say if you try to shut it down early on, then, you know, who knows what could happen in the future. But if you feel that drive, you feel that passion, and you just want to do it. If you do it in the right way, and if you're not looking for too much, it's free to make a film. And I think you're also, like, kind of inadvertently saying, like, if you're thinking that you have to go get all this expensive equipment or anything, like, don't let that hold you back. Make make your movie, and then, you know, you can always technically remake it later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I personally, I don't think it's about the effects that you use. I don't think it's about any fancy equipment that you use. I think it has to do, for me, with the story. Where you start off, if this is a story that people are going to want to see, people are going to want to listen to, and people are going to want to connect with, then who cares if it's on a cell phone or if it's on a, you know, a freaking Ari or something like that. Yeah. As long as you have some kind of means to tell that story, and it's a great story, people are going to want to hear it. People are going to want to see it, and people are going to want to connect with it. Awesome. All right. And then any just final thoughts you want to, you know, give a thanks to your mom, your girls. You got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank for sure my mom, my dad, my family because it's really it's those people in your life that continue to push you towards your dreams, continue to push you towards your goals that are the ones that you're doing it for. You know, like not not just beside yourself for any other selfless reason. You're doing it for the people that said yes, you can do it. Cool, fantastic. Yes. That's awesome. I'm CP. You can find me at NDCal5. I'm Dustin. You can find me at Big Kid D Man. Thank you so much for coming on.
Twitter, follow Daniel on social media, check out his website, and